It's gorgeous out. Let's pop some dots. This is the Updog Podcast, a blend of upland and waterfowl hunting. Tune in as your hosts, Tyler Beaton, Jeff Ludicky, Matt Jeske, chat about training dogs and share their bird hunting stories, tactics, and strategies. Welcome in to another episode of the Up Duck Podcast. My name is Tyler Meaden. I am one of your hosts, and I am joined by my esteemed co-host, the Rooster Assassin and Mud Motor Maestro himself, Jeff Ludicky. And Gambler, Matt Jesse. What's up, fellas? Doing good. Yeah. Matt, 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 you still recovering from your, your little family vacation? Yep. Yep, catching up at work and catching up at home. <laughs> How much training did you sneak in while you're out there? A couple of retrieves in Lakes here, and that was about that was how it. it. <laughs> yeah, well, at least you got a little bit in. Yeah, but but the real are you are you ready for the open on Saturday? I'm not going. What? No. What? Why not? What? What's the deal? Kelly is Kelly's going to be on a girls' trip that I said opening weekend's fine because I hate going out with five thousand other people and I'll go on Monday when nobody will be out on the river. That's fair. Because yeah. everybody's been up at, at three in the morning for two days straight yeah. and they're not getting nobody's up. Nobody's getting up, so I'll just go out <laughs> yeah. Monday. Smart. It, yep. So is that a strategy you employ every year? No, uh, I went last year. I was super jacked with the new boat set up, um, and I was there at like two thirty, and I was already late. So there's no reason to go on Saturday morning. Sunday is a little laid back compared to Saturday, but I won't go again. Probably on a Saturday again anytime soon. Okay. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Some of the guys around here will literally camp out overnight, pitch a tent, mm-hmm. sit around, drink a few beers, whatever they may do, and they'll sit out there all night crazy it's crazy yeah yep. i mean i mean jeff is yeah. that what we should be so, doing <laughs> i'm not doing it <laughs> i'm too old for that <laughs> we'll leave that to the high school kids <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> i've got enough camping gear we can yep. make it work <laughs> i'd be shot for like four days straight trying to recover from <laughs> something like that <laughs> right oh man um all right okay one last question here uh jeff i see i see you're you're partaking in an adult beverage what do we got here yeah, I got a new one today. Uh, it's another Oktoberfest. It's the Three Sheets Brewing okay. Oktoberfest. Okay. It's good. It's not, uh, I, I wouldn't say that it has dethroned the Central Waters one, but it's up there. Okay. So it's pretty good. Okay. All right. Matt? Nope. Nope. Nothing. Nothing. Uh, I'm drinking H2O as well. So that's a good segue here. We'll 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 ask our guest here in a second. So, all right. Uh so our guest tonight is Art Diaz. He is part uh, part photographer, part um, works in the outdoor space uh, as well. We'll let him give some background on the company he works for, and part he's got a lot of he's got a lot of different layers. So uh, Art, welcome into the Updock Podcast. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely, yeah, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, you bet. So let's start off with just some background. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where you work, where you're from, uh, some of your some of your passions, some of the things that you work on on a daily basis. Yeah, man, no problem. Um, I was born in California, 
uh, I lived there until I was about 10 years old. And then uh, I moved out to South Dakota. And then I'm 32 now. So I've, I feel like I've kind of grown up in the Midwest. Um, while I was living in California, the guns weren't a huge part of our lives then, um, for probably fairly obvious reasons. And, but we did a lot of trout fishing. We, we fished all the time. We just, me, my dad and my siblings and mom and stuff, we were always on the river, just trout fishing. Um, so I've, I've kind of always loved the outdoors. Um, my dad uh, grew up in Mexico and he was always hunting. I mean, all of the photos I have of my grandpa and, and him were all with ducks and deers and turkeys and all that kind of stuff. So that was like definitely a huge part of their lifestyle growing up. And then um, when we moved out here, it was kind of like, yeah, this is what everybody does. Everybody hunts or likes football. So you get to pick. And I said, I've got roughly zero interest in football. So I guess I'll take a shotgun. And then uh, ever since then, I feel like every year I can't get enough days in the field. So um, I would definitely say waterfowl is at the top of the list of things that I like to pursue. Uh, every year, every time I chase upland, I'm always like, man, I should do this more often. I live in a pretty good state for that. Um, but it's always like anything in October or November is just like, there's just no compete for me. It's I'll take, I'll take two green heads, you know, over an epic pheasant hunt any day of the week for, for whatever reason. But yeah, other than that, um, I don't really hunt big game a ton. I just got into turkey hunting the last handful of years and that's been a lot of fun. I think turkey hunting for me kind of just solidified if it has feathers and you can decoy it, I'm in, um, as far as the big game thing goes, I've, I've shot some deer before and I, I love eating them. It's, it's a very like good way to provide food, you know, um, just the rifle hunting for me just didn't do it. Um, I can see the archery guys like that. Totally. I could see that being like, if I got into it, I would, I think I'd be crazy about it, but I think I've, I've discovered my personality is super addicting. So I'm just like, okay. I spend this ducks is it for me anything else i'll just sprinkle in here and there and, and call it good so yeah man that's kind of a a little bit about that stuff in a nutshell that's good that's good you don't sound that uh, you sound like uh, you have pretty similar viewpoints on hunting as jeff <laughs> <laughs> jeff ducks turkeys uh, you do you do you do a fair amount of upland yeah stuff. i do a lot of upland stuff and I, I deer hunt as well but yeah the birds are, are what do it for me that's for sure yeah, I think it's just, and I and I think that that's where the aspect of archery maybe is a little bit more where people are like decoying them in and like getting close. I just love the the sneak, the the game, like the what if scenarios, especially at the end of the day when you're when you just like are, are like, dude, I've got no clue. I have no idea what language they speak. Can they do this? Was it eyesight? Was it sound? Was it smell? Like I have no idea. When the days that you take the L's, you're kind of like, what in the world? And then the next 20 days, you, you beat them up or 10 days or two days. And then you're like, okay, cool. I got this. Like, I think, I think I can make this work. And then you take an L again and you're like, what in the world? Like this was <laughs> supposed to work. This is, this is textbook. It's supposed to be that way. And it just keeps you coming back and you just never know. And especially now that I work in the outdoor industry and have more time to hunt than ever before, I get to spend my fair share of days in the field and like something that folks who only get to hunt on the weekends or maybe even once or twice a month because of you know regular life things um it's crazy how much uh difference like a season will make if you can hunt three or four days a week versus once or twice a month like the things you get to see and experience are just wild like i can't tell you how many days we'd be hunting and you could like actively see the migration happening where you're like 
it ramped up, you know, Tuesday at 10 a.m. We started to see kind of bigger pushes of birds. And then Wednesday by 4 p.m. when we were scouting that day, you could see that a lot of them had pushed through or whatever the case was, you know, like just actively being out there that many days and seeing it happen. You're like, this was crazy. There was 5,000 mallards sitting here last night and now there's 27, you know. And you're mm-hmm. like, nothing should have given them a real big reason to leave. There's plenty of food, plenty of good weather, you know, not getting shot off the roost or nothing like that. It's just cool when you see them um, just kind of start passing through your area and all the different species and all that stuff. I just absolutely love it. That's cool. I, uh, I'm feeling a little jealous because I'm looking at my calendar the next two weeks. and I'm trying to figure out what days of the week I can sneak out during the work week for like a quick two hour hunt yeah <clears throat> and it's it is few and i've got one yeah one day in the first two weeks of october dude i get it man it's it's tough by the time by the time you get a wife and a couple kids and you want to be a good dad and a good husband and all those things it's like that's a lot of time commitment and too just by the time you drive and by the time you go set up and hunt and do all the things like it's it's a lot to ask for and you just got to kind of make it work when you can. And if that means five days, if that means 100, whatever you got, just, just give it what you got and go from there. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, so you mentioned that you work in the outdoor industry that allows you to hunt a lot more. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Who, who do you work for? What do you, what do you do? Yeah, you bet. So I work for this company that's called Alclair Outdoors. Um, so a little bit about them. So I had spent a lot of time traveling as a musician first and that's how I came across this company. They make in-ear monitors for tons of probably all of our favorite bands. At some point, we've probably worked with them in a certain capacity. But yeah, so they make in-ear monitors. So it's it's what you wear on stage so you can hear yourself and your band and all that kind of stuff. And um, I've, I've met them probably 12 years ago. And then when they started developing the our hearing protection line, the owner and I had really connected well because he doesn't actually play any instruments, but he loves upland hunting. Just absolutely is ate up with all that stuff up there. And so we really connected well on that. And when they were developing this product, I had owned a recording studio at the time and had done a lot of audio work. So we had kind of gone back and forth on some ideas of like how they should sound and, and just kind of some product development stuff. And then right when COVID had hit, all the touring world completely came to a halt, obviously, like nobody was doing concerts, everything was shut down. So then at that time, he had kind of revisited the idea of the hearing protection line, just because it was always kind of this side project thing that he was doing. A lot of our friends and artists hunt and shoot guns and stuff. So they were kind of always asking us about it. And then right when COVID hit, um, we kind of turned back, he kind of turned back to that. And then as soon as it started lifting, he had, he had reached out to me and asked me to come on board full time. So I've been with them for two years full time. So what my actual responsibility looks like is I oversee the whole outdoor line. So I, I did all the um, sound profiles of our hearing protection, um, all the product development stuff. I had worked closely with a bunch of different outfitters and friends who were in the field a lot, sending products back and forth and testing stuff. And then as far as the audio company goes, the audio side of the business, um, me and one other guy are the two main contacts for artist relations. So we just make sure that all of the artists that are out on the road are taken care of and everything is running smoothly. And um, yeah, just keep, keep up with those relationships. And um, yeah, it's kind of a weird, like I never in a million years would have thought the only two things that I'm passionate about uh, are music and hunting and to be employed by a company that pretty much strictly offers both of those products. I just, 
it's just like every day now I'm like, this is wild. I've had so many moments where like a few weeks ago we were at a trade show and that morning my outdoor industry friends, like they're a rowdy bunch. So we were just like, I mean, they were shotgunning beers and cutting up deer backstrap, grilling it in the back of a truck bed, like all that stuff. And then that night I'm in an arena with 74,000 people working with an artist that we, that we work with. And like, was wearing the exact same clothes that I was in that morning. And my, I just like looked down. I'm like, my day started with bush lights and back straps in the back of an F-250. And it's ending like where if, if people, if I went on Facebook live right now, people would lose their mind that we're in this dressing room with this artist or whatever, you know, it's like such a wide range of your day can be so polar opposite, <laughs> but still just super awesome. So yeah, I've been really thankful for that opportunity, but they're based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So I work remote. I live in Sioux Falls still um, and just kind of bounce back and forth and go to a bunch of trade shows and outfitter visits and um, just a, just a ton of, you know, gun clubs and gun manufacturers all over the place. So yeah, that's kind of a, it's cool. Yeah. That's kind of it. That's cool. Super unique. I have so many questions. <laughs> I, I could go back and ask so many questions here. Uh, first one is what kind of music do you play? Most of, um, most of my experience was in the Christian music space, um, play guitar. So I started traveling in 2008. I was a senior in high school. So <clears throat> totally like just a weird opportunity that came up. I feel like in life, I've just keep getting lucky over and over and over again. Like, yeah, just to be able to be that young and, um, yeah, just get to go out asked and the first started traveling that I did I was living on a tour bus when I was in high school so I was finishing college on the road and it was kind of before like Facebook and all that stuff was like really like super popular so I wasn't posting photos online of what I was doing you know I was just just me and a couple of my teachers knew that I was out playing music with these bands and doing these things and then as soon as high school finished that I just kind of was like yeah this is what I want to do for a while so I kept in that space and was kind of just mostly a hired gun so i would bounce around between camps when you know different musicians would need to take a break for either whatever life reasons or they you know they had a kid or things like that that just made them like hey i can't go out on this tour but i'll be able to start traveling again in three months or six months or maybe it was just a weekend of shows with with whatever act um that's kind of what i just did especially being based out of here um i just kind of networked quickly and um, just would take on any and every gig I could to, to keep working. So yeah, that's where I spent that's cool. most of my time. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're living, you're living the dream essentially, right? You're just living on two passions at yeah. once. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really cool. And I, and I, I now can see how much both of those careers, there's a lot of similarities, but how much doing music first helped me, um, in the fact of just like, you have to be easygoing, go with the flow. A lot of what you do isn't what people see what you do. You know, it's people see the 60 minutes that you're on stage or doing whatever, but it's the other 23 hours of the day that you have to do other things to maintain that job or maintain those relationships, do all that stuff. And that aspect of it has been so crucial now, like in this industry and just, I don't know, I think just kind of being, having that experience and um, seeing that side of life just kind of really set me up well for, for this career path. And there's a ton of similarities. It's, it's almost identical, you know, 
a lot of your friends are just traveling the country a bunch. They work for different companies in the space. So it's kind of like being in different bands, but you always kind of see each other in passing. And typically like when I go through like text threads with my friends that don't live in the same state, it's always like, Hey, where are you at? Okay, cool. I'll be there in three days. Like, where are you staying? Cool. Let's hang out and do dinner. Hey, should we stay for a couple of days and hunt or, you know, that kind of a thing. And, um, it's easy to find people that are passionate about the same thing. You can just connect with them so well that even after just meeting them for a little while, you're like, okay, yeah, I could probably be friends with this guy forever. Um, and yeah, it's, it's super cool. I'm super thankful to, to be working in the space for sure. No, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And do you uh, dabble in photography as well? I do. Yep. So that was kind of a, a random thing I would say. Um, I can, I can vividly remember what kind of flipped the switch. So there's a photographer, his name is Phil Conkey, takes a bunch of duck photos. He's got a huge following online and he's on about every cover of every waterfowl magazine, it seems like, but every night, like just as I would kind of decompress, like I just would go scroll through his feed and it was always like really cool decoying bird photos. And it was always like, just so captivating to me to like see ducks kind of like frozen in the air. Cause when you're hunting them, that last 15 yards only lasts a few seconds. You know, it's like, I think you're just so anticipating the shot. You're making sure that everybody like that the bird centered up well and that the dogs are doing what they're supposed to be doing and just all the things. Right. And then as soon as you call the shot, it's instantaneously over with like you pull off and you shoot the first round and they're already 20 yards away and they're, you know, quickly getting out of there and, so when I was, when I was able to see these photos, it was just like, dang, this is so cool. Look at all the detail on their feathers and, and all the things. And, um, my brother actually one day sent me a screenshot of, of one of Phil's stories. And he was like, do you think he lives in South Dakota? And it was probably earlier on when he wasn't really talking about that. He lived in South Dakota. He's, he was a little more quiet about that, but I was like, wow, that's crazy. And then sure enough, a couple of days later, he posts that he has this podcast and he had a few audio questions. So I was like, well, if there's one thing I know about it's audio. So I shot him a DM on Instagram and said, Hey man, got a recording studio. I'd be happy to help any answer any audio related questions. And then he's like, cool, here's my number. Call me. And he's like, Hey, do you live in South Dakota? I noticed you had a 605 area code. And I was like, I do. And, um, so we just hit it off talking about music and all that stuff. And then, um we actually um started hunting together that year it was just kind of like as, as opener came about we had an awesome awesome it was a 2000 would have been 2019 we had a ton of rain that year so we had like all these awesome flooded corn spots and we just were whooping on them pretty good for the for that first stretch so it was easy to to kind of like really connect well over that and um yeah just after that i was like dude i was so inspired by your photos and like all that stuff and um, he, he really did take me under his wing and showed me a lot and taught me a lot. And, um, he's still a great friend. We hunt together every, I mean, he was here at my house 30 minutes ago and we still hunt together a ton. And, um, he really taught me just a lot about birds and all about photo stuff. And then that turned into companies, um, working with companies and doing a ton of content stuff. And it's kind of grown from there of selling prints and now doing a lot of outfitter visits to, to photograph for them and things like that. So it really took took off in just a couple of years. Like, yeah, I would say 2000, probably at the end of 2019, I probably bought a camera somewhere in that space. And it was just like, uh, on the whim at Costco 
here's a $400 Nikon kit thing. And then it was like, ah, okay, I'll try it. And I really don't have any interest in like photographing weddings or real estate or anything year round. It was always, it was always ducks and it was always ducks over decoys. So it was kind of a little niche thing. And then um, like the first time I did it, I was like, okay, this is equally as cool, if not slightly better than shooting them with a gun. Like just cause you get to experience the whole thing. And then once they land, you get to see their, them interact more and it does, it's not instance, it's not instantly over with, you know, it, it just gets epic and then it just kind of chills out, but it's still awesome. So yeah, it's again, feel like I just kind of kept getting lucky, made the right contacts. And because of work, I was at trade shows, people at trade shows were like, Oh yeah, I've seen your photos online or maybe they hadn't. And they, we started talking and they were like, Whoa, dude, I really like these style of images. Can we use some for, our company, our magazine, our product, whatever. That's kind of where it took off. I'm looking at a picture on your uh, <clears throat> Instagram page right now of uh, that Northern shoveler that you have <laughs> completely spread out. That is such a cool photo, man. That's, Dude. that's awesome. That's one of my favorite birds for sure. Same, bro. I get roasted on there for like, I absolutely love spoonies and oh um, yeah, people are always they're like, so cool. Dude, we, we were just hunting the other day. I don't even know what day is today. Wednesday, Thursday? Must have been Wednesday. on Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. So I don't remember Sunday or Monday we were hunting and we shot some and we were just sitting there looking at it when we were cleaning them. I'm like, isn't this crazy to think that like you can go from being like a two or a three on a, on a scale of good looks to like a 10, basically like in a short window of time, it's just like the most epic glow up. <laughs> just the colors on those things it's just it's just and then as soon as they go they're back so cool. they're just absolutely hideous looking like, yeah you can, you can call them out at 60 yards away you're like that thing is just so ugly you're yeah. flying by but for that short window of time that's what i imagine it's like retro almost duck it's like a duck out of the 70s or something like that yeah. if, you had to, if you had to say that that was a thing you know we we, we always joke about we're like i wonder what their accent would be like you know yeah. like there's no way you can have lips like that and not have like a really cool sounding voice so <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome uh, how much of your time do you think you spend doing photography um paid photography probably i would assume you're getting paid to do some some gigs too right yeah yep so it it kind of um i would say it's kind of a weird thing so in the space and, and i'm not sure if you guys have the same experience or not but it's so saturated, right? With everybody and their mom now has a DSLR, it takes photos. And if you were early enough, or if you jumped on TikTok or YouTube or something, and like you had a huge following, like tons of people have these epic, you know, huge pages and huge following. But if you don't have the relationship aspect of it with these companies and like have a little more than just taking a photo, it's hard to stand out. Uh, so I would say in the last couple of years is kind of really um, where I started to get more like straight up calls from people of like, Hey, how much would it cost to get these images from you or whatever? And, um, I'm still totally new to the space and I, I've not conquered everything or seen everything, but I've just gotten lucky meeting the right people, having really good relationships with them and being easy to work with, I think is a big deal too. You know, people just want to know that if you say you're going to do something, you're actually going to do it when you say you're going to do it. And I think, um, all those things that I learned from the music space that helped me get further and further and further have translated the same. And now, like if I'm, if I'm working, like I'm not bringing a gun, I just don't. Cause I, I know it's kind of like, it starts to kind of blur the lines and I would hate to feel like 
you know, just like, I don't know, doing something weird, like you're not supposed to, like leaving early for work or something. Um, and or if at full disclosure, I'll ask them like, hey, I'm going on this trip. You guys are paying me for two days, but I want you to know that I'm going to be at that place for six or five or whatever. So I do plan on hunting the next four. I just don't want any confusion if you see Instagram stories or anything like that, that vice versa. So I try to keep them separate because it's hard to kind of mix the two a lot. Um, but I've also, when, I've, when I'm not getting paid and I'm doing something for either for just our work, and even though I am getting paid, it's not like they're hiring me just as a photographer. It's like I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing. Um, man, some days it's way too hard to put down the gun and grab a camera and then you just leave and you're just like, I literally have seven photos on my you know, card and that's not good. So then you're just kind of like, okay, crap, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. So yeah, um, that I discovered fairly early on that I just didn't have the power that it takes when you see like, you know, mallards at like 20 yards and they're just back flapping and you're just like, dude, I can't take photos right now. I just, I just, there's something in me that just reaches for a Beretta and not a camera um, <laughs> and I can't control myself, you know, but yeah. we, we make a deal with our friend groups that like, while we're capturing content for these companies, it's like, we're going to always bring one gun less than a, per person, you know? So it's like one of us always has to have a camera um, in hand. And that's been a lot of fun, honestly. Like I've, I've enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, and we started doing that pretty, I would say like most of the time um, at the beginning of last year. And it, it worked out really well for us to just say like, Hey, We usually have like one or two people in the group. We usually we only hunt with three or four people typically. We don't hunt really a group, but usually most of the guys that we run around with kind of know what we do and, and we know that it's a little bit of both for working and hunting. Um, that way we can mix the two and get out as much as we possibly can. But um, we'll have like one or two people that kind of like wearing or using the things that we're photographing that day and everybody else has guns. And then usually one or two people are just kind of like passing the gun back and forth or, Hey, you shoot your birds. And then as soon as we're done, let's trade camera for gun and, and go from there. But that way you get different angles and editing styles, all that stuff too. But man, it's hard. It's hard. Now I'm just like, okay, absolutely no gun until I've got all my images done. If I'm more for that. And then, yeah. um, then I have to immediately justify it the next day. But you're like, I was working yesterday. Like I didn't, I literally didn't even take a gun. Like I have to go today because I didn't get to go yesterday. <laughs> so. yeah, we, we asked, uh, we had Keegan Adele on uh, a little while ago and we asked him a similar question. You know, how many shots did he take throughout the year? I think he only said that he shot three times, but he had, I forget. Do you guys remember how many photos it was? Like it was a hundred, I think it was a hundred thousand from like October or November, December. He shot three shells or something three like shells. that he had like a hundred some thousand photo that he took Dude, it was just absolutely I'm, wild i would say i'm exactly the polar opposite yeah that's I why say, i had mentioned that i think that's i burned through seven <laughs> cases and probably took 30 photos <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know um but it's gotten a lot like now as soon as somebody's willing to write you a check to do anything whether that play music take photos do whatever then the ball kind of changes at that point. You know, it's like, okay, I have a responsibility. Obviously someone's willing to compensate me for what I'm doing. And that is the point where it's like, okay, because what I'm doing is work. Once I'm done working, I can go back to doing what I want to do. But right now we're working and that's what this looks like. But it is kind of a weird blend when it's your passions and your friends and all the same thing all at once. It, it can kind of be like, okay, this looks largely different than it used to, but kind of still all the same. Yeah, it's so interesting when you're behind a camera. I mean, 
that's what Keegan had said too. It's like you might have saw it, but you didn't see it, right? You didn't. There's so many things that you missed when you were pulling up to take the shot, as opposed to sitting back and shooting it with a camera. Yeah, totally. And even now, like just scanning for birds and picking out weird ones, like it's uh, it's we. I notice it now more. Like if, if I'm hunting with Phil and we'll be hunting with two other friends who don't photograph or maybe don't get to spend as many days in the field, we'll have a, a wad of birds come in and then instantaneously you'll hear him or I be like, did you notice the one on the top left? Like, did you notice that he didn't have a foot or that he had that weird streak of feathers in or whatever? And it's just like, just how you scan is just so much quicker and more effectively than, you know, like they were just like, I had no clue. I just saw you know, 10 dumping in and I just picked the bottom one and, and let her eat. But when you kind of have that mentality or, or you're kind of always looking just to see, um, it's, it's kind of funny when, when you notice that. Yeah. I got to imagine everything kind of slows down too, right? Yeah. And it's kind of all almost in slow motion when you're not behind the trigger. Totally. Cause there's just no anticipation of it. Right. And for whatever reason, there's obviously the big rush, even if you've done it a hundred times, like there just still is that like, just, adrenaline burst when you when you're just about to call a shot you click the safety off but with a camera it's just like in my head i always picture it like just elevator music happening you know it's yeah. just like you're like i've got nothing to lose like you know i'm just sitting here enjoying the whole off, thing yeah. And, um yeah it's it's cool yeah uh, jeff matt do you guys do you guys follow phil phil conkey on yeah. instagram i've followed him for a long time I actually yeah. watched a bunch of his YouTube videos on his boat builds, like back when I was planning out mine. Um, so it was just, it was interesting that you, uh, you actually hunt with him and know him personally. Yeah. And there's kind of the same thing. Like had no clue. He lives 40 minutes away from my house. And like, um, yeah, it was just one of those things that went once you connected and did that and, um, just really grew to like enjoy company. And, um, we just, he works in the outdoor space too, full time. Um, so we both had tons of time on in the middle of the week and we both were going to a lot of the same trade shows and it just kind of was like, okay, yeah, this just makes sense. And, um, yeah, just been an awesome, awesome friend, a great mentor. I've learned a ton from him. He's an absolute duck wizard in every aspect of the word. Um, but yeah, it's cool. He's got, he's got a lot of really incredible photos. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he does. I mean, that's, yeah. 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 It's, um, he's like the, he's like the godfather on Instagram. Swear he's like that, <laughs> but it, maybe it was yeah, like the first totally. one that I found anyway. Like yeah, he's probably the first waterfall photographer I followed. Yeah, I think in in our age group that's a hundred percent the case. Like, um, because when I asked him like who did you like and stuff, and the the photographers, he told me I'm like I've never heard of them, and there were just guys that were his age or older that were doing it long before Instagram and long before social media was a thing. Um, so it's like, okay, now, now that I've known some of those names, like I'll still see a lot of their work in Ducks Unlimited and all that stuff. And, um, I can see where he drew that inspiration from, but I can totally see where he really pushed the bar and like made it a cool, cool thing, especially now that his technique and approach and how cameras and technology has advanced, it just made it for like, oh yeah, this is awesome. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Matt, Matt, Jeff, any other questions for art on the photography side? What do you, what, what do no, you shoot the only the thing, go ahead, Yeah. What, what do you shoot with currently? I started, I started off on a Nikon and it was probably just cause it was on the shelf at Costco. I had no idea. I didn't have any knowledge on anything. 
And then um, once I did that and kind of was like, okay, yeah, I like this. I, I pretty much immediately switched to Sony. Um, I don't have uh, any reason particularly against that or, or Canon or anything like that. But uh, a lot of the stuff I was looking for was like frames per second, just really high rate stuff just for the birds in flight and that kind of thing. And um, just lightweight, you know, like a lot of times people will see those photos and ask me like, are you like driving in your truck and like taking photos out the window or like, how does that work? And I'm like, dude, I literally wear a ghillie suit and go hide in cattails that smell terrible for hours and hours and hours. And all those photos are like at 15, 20 yards, you know, over decoys and that kind of thing. And um, you just have this expensive camera, you know, 10 inches above the water, hoping that you can get cattails and water and maybe a little blue sky and a cool duck in the photo. And yeah, that's what I like. So it's Sony. Once I, um, once I switched over and like the shutter actuations, like the little screens inside of them, you know, it's like an L LCD screen or whatever. Yeah. And just look like a TV. Like it just blew my mind that it wasn't blacking out every second while you're, you know, shooting yeah. the camera. So I was like, this is absolutely insane. And um, yeah, I've, I've loved it. I've got no complaints and um, no, no reason to switch now. Awesome. Weird what about you guys? Then? Yep. Okay. Uh, I've, I've got a a nine and, and a couple of different a seven, uh, setups. So yeah, all Sony. Do you guys take photos too? I dabble very, dabble? very, very, <laughs> you, you, you got uh, a pretty little. nice camera though, right, Matt? Yeah. So I got, well, the original kit camera, like me and my wife got, um, was like a Nikon D 3300, I think. And then uh, we got a hand-me-down oh, sure. D800, so that's a pretty decent camera. Thank you. We, uh, we just started to use it a little bit more now with our son, and um, it's just one of those things, making the time to actually use the camera is, is kind of the key. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But, man, it's it's so cool to have that stuff. I was just like a few minutes ago, I got a lens in the mail um, to come leaving on a trip this weekend and, like, had it overnighted quick, and as soon as it got here, my daughter was sitting in the shop with me and just, like, eating an icy, so I'm sitting there taking a bunch of photos, and you know, like I can't tell you how many times I text my wife photos of our kids that I took on our camera or, you know, like birthday parties with my siblings or whatever. And it's like one of those things that you're like, dang, dude, this is, this is awesome to have this at, you know, at your disposal and get all these cool images for your kids growing up. And even like that photo there of my son, he has headphones on and we were, we were, he was on, out on the road on tour with me and he's sitting on a road case outside. And one of my buddies took that photo and it's just like, that to certain people means so much, you know, like if you, if you had an image of somebody's dog that had a retrieve and they, and they passed away or whatever like that, it's, it's one of those things that you'll hang on to for a long time. So even if folks are just taking photos of their kids and their dogs and normal life stuff, it's like doing, doing photos and, mm -hmm. and doing them creatively is, is extremely rewarding for so many different reasons. I'm, I don't ever discourage anybody from picking up a camera and, and giving it a shot. Uh, I, uh, I don't really, I, a few years ago, I, I, I think I picked up a D3300. I wanted to sort of get started in that route and just didn't time, right. I just didn't prioritize it. So it's still sitting over there. I don't think, I don't think it, I haven't touched it in probably three or four years. Dude, that's what it was like for me. And that's kind of still what it's like. I've, I don't think it's a good thing. So I'm not saying it like proudly or anything like that, but I always envy the guys that like can crush it, like taking car photos and architecture photos and portrait photos and all these things. And I'm just like, man, if it doesn't have feathers and if it doesn't have a green head, I'll just let it sit there until they show up, <laughs> you know? 
I'm trying to be better at it because I think that that's how you grow as a photographer and like take it to the next level. But man, it's hard to feel like really, really stoked about taking photos of people walking down an apple orchard row or something like it just doesn't do it for me. And I'm sure that people who do that style of photography would never in a million years want to go through a mucky slough to sit there and take photos of some dumb bird. But it's kind of just what does it for me, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking at your photos though. I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty epic. I mean, oh, thanks, man. Who cares about who cares about what people walking to through an apple orchard? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like, dang, <laughs> dude, like that's what they look like at 20 yards. We don't have that happen very often to us. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know what that actually looks like, <laughs> dude. It's um, it's not too bad here in South Dakota. I really really feel lucky to live in a state that monitor you know it's not open for everybody to come hunt so i feel like i and obviously i know firsthand i travel to a bunch of different states to hunt and i'm thankful for that opportunity but i do everything i can to like treat that with the most utmost respect of like and most of the times i'm with outfitters like I, I don't travel a ton buddy hunting i travel more for work um and at that point it's it's a different ball game than just going to a public spot and just picking up a spot somewhere or whatever but um it's, I feel so hypocritical, but it's the, the best thing that your state can do is to like really just monitor the amount of licenses and not just burn it to the ground. Cause it does not take long, uh, for all these, you know, license, like over the counter stuff, people find out that, Oh dude, in fishing is the same way. It's like, dude, this is, this is epic. And it's like, it takes no time for that word to get around and people that just talk too much about where they're doing whatever at, um, it'll it'll get overdone pretty quickly and that's that's honestly why i don't even post photos of hunts really um i don't really post a lot of dead bird photos of things it's just like i don't really want people to know when i'm running around and who i'm running around and where we're running around it's just like this is what i like i hope you like it too i don't really have anything like genius over the top to share with you about waterfowl hunting i just i just love 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 it and I hope you do too. And if this makes you smile from a desk, from a, from the field, from wherever you're at in life, great. I'm in. Um, but that's just kind of been my, my approach to the photo thing. And um, I know in today's day and age, it's like people go online to, to flex these things and talk about how awesome they are, their outfitter is or whatever. And it's just like, man, I just want to, I just want other people that, that like hunting to talk about hunting and hopefully if we can be friends, awesome. And if we can share recipes and tactics and invite each other to hunt and whatever, build a community around it, then that's the, that's the end goal with that for sure. Well, that's cool. That's cool, man. I respect that. Respect that view. Definitely. So, um, all right, Jeff, Matt, any other questions on the photography side before I flip it over here? I have one question that I think I know the answer to, but how do you feel about uh, photographing upland hunts? Man, uh, I so I, we had a big shoot for a company that had a bunch of new products coming out in the upland space, and it was really enjoyable, um, okay. mostly because you're not walking in mud and water and like when you're holding cameras with huge lenses and all that stuff, and you have all this gear with you that you're just like balancing on a muskrat hut or beaver dam or whatever, and you're just like, if this thing falls over, my memory cards and batteries are going everywhere. Um, it was, it was enjoyable. And I like watching dogs and all that stuff is always cool. Um, it was a lot harder to get cool bird photos, which, uh, 
I think kind of shocked me more than that made me thought. Um, but it was just so explosive that you're, you're just so like caught off guard, you know, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I think I had just gotten so used to like seeing birds come in or interacting with them and watching them the whole way that it's just like all of a sudden it's just chaos broke loose and guns went off everywhere. And you're like, I have no idea what just happened. All I know is that I heard something, I heard a beep on the collar and then all of a sudden bang, 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 bang. And then I just see this cloud of feathers coming at you and you're like, well, I pretty much just missed everything. So <laughs> hopefully this happens again soon. <laughs> but That sounds very similar to uh, some other feedback we've gotten from other photographers too. <laughs> right. that love the upland space, but it's very, very challenging to, to get good shots. Yeah, totally. And and maybe the move was is to like be back 50 yards or something from the line that people are walking. And I don't do a ton of like the grouse or woodcock stuff in the woods. And so that would even be a next level hard. But um, the colors and like all that stuff in the fall, people are hunting them. It's just so dang pretty. And I just went up to like northern Minnesota last year to do some photos. And dude, where all that grouse stuff is and all that, dude, it's unbelievable. It's beautiful. Like it looks so dang cool. Mm-hmm. And those um, Aspen stands in the fall is just unbelievably pretty. Yes. I was blown away. I felt like a little kid. I just kept telling the guy who was showing me around. I was like, dude, this is unbelievable. This is so pretty. And he's like, yeah. And then <laughs> two seconds later, I was like, this is nuts. Slow down, <laughs> slow down. Like he was like, all right, dude. Yeah, it's, it's cool. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, I hope I get to do more of it. And I, th- I don't know that I'll trade off a ton of days, but I would certainly be open to trading off a handful to, to do more of that stuff. And two, even especially for work, we were just talking about today. I'm like, dude, it's so waterfowl heavy that I really do need to start balancing out that and or finding somebody else to, to get some of those photos for us so we can use for marketing ads and all that kind of stuff. But I'll get there one of these days. Yeah. Do you- Oh, okay, now I've got a question too. Right? Do you, do you, do you, yeah. Well, eventually we'll 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 get to the other thing here. Yeah, uh, no problem. Do you do you do video content work then too, or do you do yeah. all pretty much all stills? Uh, all stills, yep. Um, I uh, in in audio, it was the same space. Like I loved to record music. I hated editing music, um, and I think it's kind of like that same style of mentality for me in this space. Like I, I love taking photos, the idea of taking video and then going back and sitting for 10 hours and sitting through it and putting it all together. Um, it just is like, does not have one ounce of interest to me, but yet I love to consume videos more than photos like that. I don't know. (laughs) It's so backwards in my head, but I don't, and maybe it's like a weird internal, like insecurity thing of like, I'm, I'm barely okay enough at photos i don't need to jump and start doing videos where i feel like i would not be good at all so it's but ironically enough on on this next few trips i'm like okay i have to take at least 10 video clips on every hunt um and even if it's cell phone stuff like people love that stuff it's like Mm -hmm. we were just talking about earlier we're like isn't it funny like when you look back through uh, any photos on social media and you see the analytics behind it, it could be an iPhone video of just a mallard coming into a decoy spread and you'll get boatloads of views and engagement and all this stuff. And then you post this photo that you're so proud of that maybe is in a magazine and all of a sudden you get like 5% of the interaction and you're just like, I literally grabbed my dirty, muddy, yucky phone and just held it shaking and got this clip and everybody thinks it's so cool. And then here's this thing I'm actually really proud of creating. And people are like, meh, next. <laughs> I don't know. 
it's uh i mean we the tiktokification of social media for sure i mean it's short video clips right and it's everything is homogenous now doesn't matter if it's youtube facebook instagram tiktok like it's all the same content it's just formatted for each platform yeah you see the same stuff and it's, it's, and it's they're all they're all pushing video too because that's what everybody's consuming that's what the preferences now eventually it'll in some time it's hard to imagine this at some time will be some platform that's you know stills only and that'll be hot again but yeah right now it's all video i know to be honest i'm kind of looking forward to that like i i wish um it was what it used to be as far as like stills only and then like in real time so like when you posted and all of your friends saw your work in real time um i don't know if that'll happen again but yeah it's it's funny to see just how that world works so backwards you're just like i have got no clue the moment you think you're like okay cool i've been doing this at this time and these styles of things and it's kind of been working and then all of a sudden you're like i've got literally not the slightest clue i don't know <laughs> it's uh we feel that it's frustrating for work you know like <laughs> yeah 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 it's like it's one thing for you to be like oh man i thought people would like a photo of a mallard or a spoonie more than they did or wow that surprised me a lot of people like this photo or whatever the case was but when it's for work and you're really trying to like do marketing stuff and like be very intentional with reach and all that stuff it's like the most aggravating thing when you're just like how like what is the code just even five percent of the code like can you just give me one little insight to like what you're looking for which words at what time what color palette like anything it's but uh it's it's interesting right and it's like you know you hit on it already whatever what you think generally what you think is going to crush on social media doesn't and what you think is just a throwaway will people will eat it up it, it doesn't always make sense and it you know, like we could, we can, we can take this conversation offline. So that's <laughs> a whole, that's a whole nother thing here. I can totally. start. <laughs> I could for a little bit start talking. Um, all right. Okay. Let's, let's flip and talk a little bit about all clear. Yeah, so you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, hearing protection. So like, just talk a little bit about like the solutions. I think most honors have probably seen some advertisements for this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, like th this type of protection, like just talk a little bit about it, when it was, how it, how it's designed, how it works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think right now is probably the first big wave of like several different companies having products that are similar, advertisement being in front of a lot of people. And I, the line that I use often, because I think it's so true, it's kind of like when Gunner and Yeti and like these really big premium brands came out to the to the outdoor space. I mean, even just several years ago, the idea of having a six hundred dollar cooler just seemed like absolutely insane, like ludicrous, right? To have a thousand dollar dog dog kennel seems so crazy to people, um, especially when Coleman or Pet Crate had been doing the same thing for so long for forty nine ninety nine. Um, but once you have a product like that, you realize like. Dude, I don't, I can't ever imagine not having a roto molded insulated cooler like a Yeti or a kennel like Gunner or whatever the case is. It's kind of like that in the hearing protection space right now. I think several companies have really cool high end products. They're they're pretty expensive. Mostly, I think the the cost part that goes into it. So on on our own behalf, I can't say this for all of our competitors, but in, in our space, we hand make everything in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So every part of the process happens right on site. Nothing is done overseas, nothing like that. Um, so it's super 
labor intensive because it's a custom fit product, not, you know, obviously nobody's ears are the exact same, um, all that kind of stuff. So how that process looks is you have to set up an, an appointment with an audiologist or if you're at a trade show or, and we're there, or you can come to our, our locations. We have a shop in Nashville um, and then in Minneapolis as well. But they take an impression of your ear with like a two-part silicone. It cures. It actually kind of looks like this um, right there. So it's like kind of looks like that. And then um, it gets 3D scanned with a bunch of lasers at work. And then they start building the cast. Then everything gets routed out. Then you put all the electronics in it. You glue on the faceplate. You buff and polish everything up. And there's a ton of stuff, obviously, in between there. But that's just kind of the general outline. But every step of that way, obviously, there's people soldering all the electronics, doing all the hand like at grinders and buffers doing everything there um so that's that's kind of like why they're expensive um it just takes a lot to manufacture like a custom-made product like that um we have tried our best my biggest goal when i came on was that i want it to be accessible to everybody and we use the same model in our outdoor in our audio space so um, a lot of our competitors um wanted their product to be the Ferraris, the super high end. And while that's great, not everybody can afford to have a Ferrari. And we wanted that to be like, I want to be able to make something that's like a Ferrari, like a really high end, awesome product, but I want it to be as affordable for people so that everybody can enjoy this because we all in this room, while we were designing these products, know how good things can sound and function, that it's like, I want to make sure that everybody has access to that. Um, so we designed that product. And we came in, um, I feel like way ahead of our competitors as far as a price point goes while still maintaining the same integrity of the components inside. We know that we source them from the same place and all that kind of stuff. But even developing products that were like these orange ones, it's a filtered earplug. So this one works off of sound pressure. Um, so there's a little filter in here. And when the, when the boom of the gun goes off, the actual pressure closed, like filters out the um, frequencies and all that stuff that cause those damaging impacts to your ear, excuse me. Um, and something like that is like 150 bucks. So it's like, I tell folks, it's like, if you're, if you want to take this seriously and you're looking at getting like a custom fit product, not something that's on the shelf at like a Cabela's or any, any of that kind of stuff, nothing wrong with that at all. But if you're looking at going this route, starting off with something that's 150 bucks is a pretty easy way to like step into it check things out see how the process works once you know how comfortable they are and how practical it is i typically see people be like okay yeah i use these all the time like i'm ready to try something nice or something with more features and that kind of thing and we try to set up a kind of a wide line that covered you know different price points different applications but um yeah we we really spent a lot of time trying to make it um make it really good for people, make it affordable for people and just be a company that like, we all are very people uh, oriented. Like we wanna make sure that our customers are taken care of. We don't have any automated phone things, like everything is a real human being. So when you call, it's a real person that picks up, a real person that can walk over to another real person and say like, yep, here's your product. Um, we have two days left until it ships out or whatever the case is. And I know that, um, a lot of companies, when they do start to outsource to other countries and or if they're just a middleman, if if they don't actually manufacture themselves but pay someone to like private label for them, that's where you kind of lose a lot of the customer relationship aspect. Because if you're not building it or manufacturing it yourself, 
you know, a customer calls you about your order or a repair or questions and you're kind of like, well, I don't know because it's not actually 10 feet away from me, you know? Uh, and that's just something that we really think is valuable. And especially in this day and age where everything is done overseas, I think people are really refreshed by like when you call a place and a real person answers and they can actually walk over to your order and be like, yep, blah, 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 blah. Here's some photos. Here's some questions. Here's some answers. Um, people really find a lot so of how, do, how does the technology work right like am i going to be able like if i get a pair am i going to be able to hear if i'm uploading i'm going to be able to hear like my dog crash into the brush I'm gonna am i going to be able to hear geese honking way out in the distance yep yep that's that's exactly the case so inside of it like all the programming parameters of it everything is set at like volume levels and compression settings so basically what a compressor does is like a wave file that's how audio what it looks like if you look at audio it looks like this and it's basically grabbing the soft noises and bringing them up and the loud noises bringing them down and now you can you know crank the setting so everything sounds so loud and super intense and you can open them up so they sound a little bit more natural but still are helping you like hear the softer noises better but then reducing the loud ones so like on our electronic ones like I wanted the duck calls specifically, like waterfowl calls is what I was most familiar with. I wanted them to sound natural. Um, I because a lot of a lot of hearing protection companies almost use the mentality of like if it hits this level, just chop it all off and delete it. Like there's nothing that can get through the doors because it's only this much sound and anything above it, just destroy it. Which duck calls are actually pretty dang loud. So I recorded a ton of them and really looked at all the audio charts of like how loud they are, what frequencies are peaking, spec calls, you know, honker calls, snows, all that type of stuff. And they were like, man, if you get a bunch of dudes ripping on duck calls, like in a boat, in a, or even in a goose calls in a pit, like anything that kind of like really reverberates and kind of increases the volume that way. It's like th that, that enough is like dangerous hearing level loud. If you did that all day, you know, if you were a guide or if you were, if you did it very often, like that would for sure cause permanent hearing loss. Um, so what I wanted our product to do was to grab that and not delete it, but just bring it down. Um, just so like if you're sitting there just ripping on calls, especially dudes in the South, where just like volume is the whole name of the game. They're just wanting anything that's louder than the next guys. I still want you to hear it and hear the tone of it, but just at a safe level. Um, so yeah, same thing with Upland guys. Like I want to be able to hear the people talking, making sure that everybody's uh, communicating well, especially if you have clients or if you're in a big group, make sure the dogs are where they're supposed to be, making sure that everybody's behind the line and all that stuff. So it was, it's a huge responsibility to um, have somebody put your product in their ears and really rely on like, can I hear that someone called the shot or you know, those types of things. So anytime you're dealing with firearms, obviously there's just like a huge level of safety that all of us will probably just get way too comfortable with. I think all of us are just used to like, we've had guns around us and or have been exposed to guns for so long that it's not something that you are really like scared of, you know, like when, when, um, when someone goes hunting for the first time, that's maybe never been around a firearm. You can even tell in their eyes are just kind of like constantly looking at it. Just like, it's not just going to go boom. Right. Or like they just feel a little bit more tense about it. And, I don't even think of my shotgun as like a firearm anymore. Almost. It's just like this thing I use all the time that I've just gotten so used to it, but we, it's really important to be able to hear and to be able to do that safely and effectively. Um, yeah. So we've really emphasized. 
all that stuff when, when designing the product. I'm glad you brought up calling because I feel like that's one of the biggest <clears throat> issues for me with wearing earplugs. You know, I I tend to just use the the standard little foam earplugs in my ears, but calling is always the hardest thing for me. I just can't stand running a call with earplugs in. So right. I'll tend I'll tend to take them out, and then obviously you're shooting, and then you have no hearing protection. Yep. That's always been my the reason why I probably don't wear them as much as I should. Yeah. And, and I would say that I haven't encountered a, a product that it's the exact same as your normal hearing. And I think what happens is, is that you're used to hearing something a certain way for so long that anytime something is different, it immediately isn't as good as your default. Right? So I tell folks, it's like, if all of a sudden I told you that you can only see combinations of red, green, and blue, and I told you like, hey, just so you know, I know that you don't know this, but there's also five other colors that exist that you've never seen before. Watch, put on these glasses and let me know. All of a sudden your brain would be like, what the heck? Like for the first 30 years of my life, I've never understood that this was like this. It's not bad, it's just different. You know, it just, you didn't know that the sky wasn't actually fully blue. It, it had tints of these other colors. And I, this probably sounds kind of crazy, but like hypothetically speaking, that's kind of what I tell folks it's like, when you put in earplugs, like especially the electronic ones, it's a little microphone processing the sound, putting it back through a little speaker, and then going to your eardrum, which is just different. It's not bad; it's just different, and you and you get used to it. And two, I think by the time that you've hunted enough or you've shot enough that you've realized that this is important to protect your hearing, and you're ready to spend a thousand or more dollars on these premium earplugs, at that point you've probably ran your call enough that you're not really thinking every time you pick up a call like, oh yeah, I'm going to put my fingers right here and then I'm going to do only three notes in this cadence. It's just so muscle memory that like you don't even think about it. You hear a Mallard Drake like make a slight sound and then you immediately or you grab your call and you know exactly where it's at in your lander and you're just hitting them with it or a goose or whatever the case is. It's so muscle memory that most folks, um, once they once they can really trust themselves that it sounds exactly the same as it does without the earplugs in and you understand that there's the subtle differences of how you hear with them on or off it's just like a no-brainer you know it's just like dude I, yeah i wouldn't i couldn't do this again without protecting your ears right yeah it just takes sure. getting used to you guys have you guys have some statistics on what percentage of hunters don't use any kind of hearing protection at all Dude, yeah when i looked into it when we were first starting and um i don't mean this as a knock to anybody no our com competitors or anybody in the space but we did not want to use the fear tactic as far as like a reason to get people to buy earplugs like we didn't want to say like you're gonna you know it is true like there's a hundred percent scientific proof and evidence that like it's tied to dementia and all these things and but when I looked into that, it was like the grand majority, like, I don't remember exactly, but like in the 80% range of people that don't use any earplugs whatsoever, like no attempts at all to protect your hearing. Um, and yeah, it's like one thing I, I see so often in this space in particular, most of the time when you talk to anybody about hunting, they will tell you, I've had a gun as, as long as I've been able to hold one. I've started shooting shotguns when I was six years old or whatever, especially like in this part of the country in the Midwest, that's just such a huge part of our lifestyles up here that it's not weird to like hear that, you know, it's like, I have for sure 
let my son shoot guns and he's five and all that stuff. And it's just normal. Um, and I also don't hear, yeah, I, I didn't, I don't know. I think I'm just going to hunt maybe for a year or two and then I'll probably just hang it up and just call it good. You know, it's like, it's such an in-depth ingrained part of our lives that it's like, this is a well worth investment. Um, just like even thinking in the future, like maybe you're, you won't lose all your hearing this season, but what about in 23 other seasons that you probably are going to take part in or what about if you're just, if you're only 15 and this is maybe your first or second, but you come from a long lineage of like everybody in my family hunts. I don't foresee me being the first one in this to just bail, you know, it's kind of one of those things that it's like, man, this is just as valuable as a shotgun to me. Like this is equally as important in the field. Just the other day, I took my son hunting and somewhere in packing probably 600 snacks, I totally forgot my blind bag. It was the first time ever that I showed up got to where i'm at and i'm just like i literally have no ammo no calls no nothing like i did Hope bring you had your camera <laughs> i did have a camera okay. and roughly 600 snacks um zero ammo zero calls zero anything and i'm and the first thing my brain honestly honestly said was crap my earplugs like i don't want to and even now like i've i've used them so much that even pulling them out and hearing a shot you're like good lord like that is so loud that for so many years like i never even associated it with like dangerous levels of loud you know it's like shooting clays at your friend's house it's like you would burn through 250 rounds in like an hour or two and like just have a ball with it and now the idea of that with no earplugs is like golly yeah. just brutal it's one of those things like my dad, you know, is in his mid sixties now and his hearing is definitely not what it used to be. And it's one of those things that, you know, you, when you're in the moment, you don't think about it. And then, you know, 20 years down the road, you're like, man, I really should have, I really should have thought about that and been more careful, you know, just like kids, they don't brush their teeth. You know, I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't want to brush my teeth. And then they get all these cavities and they immediately regret it. Right. It's just, yeah. it's, um, it's, Go ahead, Art. Sorry. I was going to say, it's exactly like that. And I think now for us to have kids, it's like you see it so much and you're like, son, I'm telling you this because I know like if you just go to bed with an inch of chocolate on your teeth, you're absolutely right. Tomorrow morning, your teeth probably won't fall out, son. I get it. In 10 years, if you do the same behavior over and over and over and over, you can guarantee you're going to have zero teeth left. And it's the right. exact same with hearing like, it's not like if you look at a welding bead one time, you don't go instantaneously blind, right? But if you do that every day, <laughs> you know, 40 hours a week, it won't take that long until you're affected by it. The same thing with hearing. It's like you don't realize it until it's too late. You'll realize it when you're 45, 55, 65, and you, you answer your phone on speakerphone and you hold it like this. Or when someone talks, you go like this and just watch their lips for every word they say. Or you listen to the TV on level 100 and you're still kind of like you know, very tentatively listening. It's exactly the same thing. It's like, you won't think about this product until it's too late. Just like having a great kennel. It's like, you don't think about that until you've been in a rollover accident. And the first thing you think of is why in the world did I not spend a few extra hundred dollars on that? Or you're on a big trip and you shot a whatever, an elk or a moose in the mountains. And you're like, I don't have a cooler to put this meat in. And it got spoiled because I thought I could get away with having 
uh, soft pouch with a few ice cubes in it. And it turns out you can't do that. Same kind of thing. It's like, once you realize the value of it, you're just like, I don't know how I could do without. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I want to go back to what you said though, about how it like eat, you have to get used to like wearing the hearing protection and how things sound a little bit different or whatever. It's like, you have to reset your brain and there's like a, there's a new baseline essentially. Totally. And you just have to get used to that new baseline. And then that just becomes the norm. Right. Yeah. Um, because it would feel what you're describing, you know, Jeff, what you described to it, 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 it would feel very weird at first for me, but then like for you, Art, you didn't have yours in that one time after wearing them for years. And you're like, this is weird. I can't, I can't handle it. But you have a yeah. different baseline because you have it. That's an established exactly. practice. Yep. And, and I try to tell folks like um, the ones, the, the customer that always makes me nervous is when someone says, I, you know, mine are expected to arrive Monday the 10th. I fly out Tuesday the 11th on this epic world-class Argentina, whatever shoot. And you're just like, oh man. This is going to go one of two ways. They're going to tell you like, this was so weird. Like I, I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know what blah, blah, blah it felt like, or this or the other thing, or they hopefully quickly learn. And they're just like, oh yeah, this was great. But I, I always, always, always tell folks, I'm like, if, if it was up to me, I would tell every single person, get them in the off season, wear them, go to a shooting range, shoot guns with them. in. so you kind of, so you, so your brain and you kind of build the trust of like, okay, this is really going to change because now all of a sudden when I pull the trigger, I can feel it, but I don't hear it anymore. And even for your brain, I don't have any scientific proof to back this up, but I think your brain correlates this motion with, oh crap, something really, really bad is going to happen. Like it, it throws an error message like, oh crap, this is not good. As soon as you do that and you squint or you flinch or you do everything you can to protect yourself from the shot without even knowing it, you know? And by the time you shoot 25 shells a morning or 50 or three or whatever the case is, like you do that over and over that your brain just builds that into the code of how it works. It just knows that the moment you do this, something bad is really going to happen. We're going to do everything we can to avoid it. And um, when you have this, it's like so weird how I don't even flinch when I shoot a gun anymore, like at all. And I didn't even realize that until people that I was hunting with called it out. You know, when a single comes in, they'll be like, all right, you shoot them on the left. And they're obviously all watching to see if you're going to miss. And they're just like, that was weird. You like didn't even blink or shoot. Like you're this cold blooded killer. And I'm just like, none of those things are true. It's just like, I've just gotten so used to like your brain, it, the, the dangerous harm disconnect it, it kind of like rebuilt that trust of like no nothing bad's going to happen like you'll be just fine and it and it kind of went away and um yeah if you can get them in the off season wear them shoot guns blow calls by the time the season rolls around you'll be like oh yeah this is but even learning how to put them in sometimes people see this product and they're like what in the heck like is that your left or your right side and i'm like literally goes in to your ear canal. Like this can only fit one way, but if you've never seen it, it's, it's a totally reasonable question to ask. Um, but yeah. So Tyler, Matt, what I'm hearing is, is that if we get these earplugs, we're probably going to kill more ducks. Is that, is, did I hear that right? <laughs> Oof. We probably won't miss as much. Is that what you're saying, Art? I think it'll help. All right, all right, all right. Okay, that 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 that's the sales pitch right there, Art. All right. right, for anybody on the, I was going to ask. So, what is the what is the sales pitch for folks that are on the fence? You're gonna you're gonna shoot better, right? Dude, you're not gonna flinch. It's so, it's my favorite. Um, like at trade shows when guys mostly like are 
demographic is largely male. Um, I think even in the outdoor space, I think there's a lot of females and that's starting to be more of a visible thing. But when I say guys, I don't mean to exclude women. Um, but when I see somebody come up to the table and their partner is with them who maybe does not participate in outdoor shooting sports and they're just kind of like, ah, oh, man, that's expensive and blah, blah, blah. And, and their partners are like, if someone came up to you and they said, in this needle, I have a liquid that will make you go blind or deaf or whatever. And if you don't give me $1,000, I'm going to poke you in the arm with it. You would immediately hand over every debit, credit, cash, Venmo, PayPal option you had to secure that you're not going to lose your vision or your hearing or whatever. And for people who don't, aren't in the space, like, they're like, why would you not want to do that? It, you're literally like blatantly, obviously telling you, if you pull this trigger, it is for sure going to cost permanent hearing loss. And you're just kind of like, okay, maybe I'll just do it 1000 times this season, you know? <laughs> and it just sounds so dumb, but you're kind of like, yeah, I guess I didn't think of that. <laughs> now, I kind of want to go back to how you get fitted for one of these. Now, you yep. mentioned that if you're not in either Nashville or the Minneapolis area and are mm -hmm. not at a trade show, you have to go see an audiologist, right? Yep. Now, is there a pretty big cost associated with that for someone that has to do that versus finding you at a trade show and possibly uh -huh. doing it in-house? So if you if you ever see us at a trade show or at our shop, it's always free from us. We don't charge anybody to do that. Um, if you go to an audiologist, I would say 50 to 75 bucks is pretty common. Some big cities are at like $100. Or if you live in the middle of nowhere, and there's only one option, it might be $100. But most of the time, it's very common in the audiologist space that, um, that to make an impression of your ears um, that you can pretty much call any hearing aid center or any like ear, nose and throat um, mm -hmm. clinic and ask them for impressions and they can shoot them for you. And it, it doesn't take hardly any time. There's no real big science involved. Basically, excuse me, what they do is there's a little, uh, man, I wish I was close to my work box, but basically it's a little foam, almost Q-tip end looking thing with a string on it. And that goes in your canal called the foam stopper um, and then you shoot that two-part silicone and it pretty much starts as consistency off as like peanut butter um, it kind of just feels kind of like that cold feeling and then once it cures it cures like a rubber eraser and that process takes maybe like two or three minutes for it to set up and cure and then it just literally comes out and then that's it um, there's like a huge hurdle to overcome with folk because they feel like that's it's like this big doctor's visit thing and once they do it or they see it done at a trade show it's like you can see the reaction from a mile away they're just like oh that's it like that's it and then i just give you my debit card and i can just order them they're just like okay sign me up like i'm next um just just because that piece just feels like this weird taboo like i have no idea like is it going to cost me 500 dollars? is it going to take three hours i've got no clue so we've really tried to like emphasize like this is very easy it's not very expensive and it will literally take you like five ten minutes and, you know um so yeah that's that's kind of how you get started on that so, so the audiologist the, they make they make the molds right mm -hmm. and then and they give them they get, so i go to the audiologist i get the molds <clears> done and then i just mail them to you guys that's it yep and it's like a, like i said it's like a rubber eraser so you don't have to put it in like a box or like it's not this super yeah. fragile thing you can literally put them in like bubble wrap in a padded envelope and ship them right to us. And then um, we'll put them in our machine and 3D scan them and, and go from there. What's the turnaround time? 
So like I have a big trip coming up and I'm not going to take your advice and order them in the off season and worm. I'm going to be like everybody else and order them last minute. What's the turnaround time? Right now, I would say between two and three weeks. And that largely depends on the time of the year, like right before the season, when everybody's like getting in their orders, trade shows are kind of starting to wrap up. Um, it'll go up to like five, six weeks, Black Friday, the day before will probably be at two or three weeks. The morning of it'll probably, it'll go right up to eight weeks for sure. Just because of the volume of orders that come in, like I said, it's all handmade and there's just not any, we don't have any more corners to cut to make it a faster process than just paying more people and like getting a bigger shop. Um, so it just, just totally depends on the time of year, but you know, typically in the off season, two weeks is pretty normal. No, I think one of my biggest concerns too, is spending that kind of money would be losing mm -hmm. the hearing protection. I, I lose earplugs all the time. If you look in my boat, there's probably <laughs> like two dozen earplugs that have fallen out of my ear and just been replaced. Now, what do you guys offer in terms of that? Like, yeah. What if somebody loses it? Do you guys have any kind of replacements or, or anything like that? Or, or how do you handle that? On, on loss, we don't just because, you know, it's kind of one of those things that you're like, can you imagine if Benelli would send you a new Benelli if you're like, yeah, I have no idea. I just, my Super Black Eagle was with me there and I, I just have no clue where it went. Oh, that's fair. Um, so we don't do any like free replacements on Lost. One thing we do are, that's big on our end that's very different in our competitor space is that our repairs are only $99. So that means even if you crushed it, if you can mail it to us, it'll 100% only cost you $99 to get it fixed. Even if that means that we build you a new set, it just always costs 99 bucks. Um, and the other thing I would say is um, it's kind of like when you first buy your first expensive set of sunglasses. It's like if you're used to buying the $9 truck stop ones, in this case, the foamies, they're just so worthless that it doesn't matter. I don't care if I set them down. It doesn't matter if they fall out of my hands. You spend a thousand bucks on some earplugs, all of a sudden it really does matter where you set those things and all that kind of stuff. Now, that to be said, we ours are connected with a lanyard in between, so they hang. And the goal of this whole thing is, is like once you start hunting and you put them in, they don't come out in between volleys of birds or like, you know, that kind of thing. Now, in certain times of the year, in certain parts of the country, I, I totally understand that it's like, it might be hot and heavy for five minutes and then it might shut off for three hours and that's totally okay. Then you would pull them out, let them down and put them back in, but they would hang there. Up to this day, I don't know that I've had anybody call me and say that they've lost them, just straight up lose them. I've had the things where my dog chewed on them. I left them in a blind bag and I stepped on them and, and crushed them or whatever the case, just normal accidental things. And even at that point, again, it costs 99 bucks to rebuild them or whatever. Um, but I can't say that I've heard of anybody just straight up like, I don't know, I just was wearing them and then they just were gone. And do you guys keep the mold on file? So if I do get fitted for one and say I want to upgrade at some point and get something else, do you guys keep totally. that? On yep. hand. So we, we store them for five years and they say, so I didn't know this, but your, your nose and your ears are the only parts of your body that grow forever. Like your whole lifespan, they're constantly changing. And so we say that every five years is kind of what we found that people typically have changed enough that it's worth getting remolded. That's not the case for everybody, but that's just a general like middle of the road gauge that we use. Um, so that's kind of why we keep it for five years and then we'll reach out to the customer and say, Hey, just so you know, we've had your impressions for five years. If you're looking at getting a product, we would recommend getting new ones. If they work for you and you're totally happy, keep them. N nothing wrong with that. But 
I would say that's kind of the normal lifespan of, of the mold. So my nose is going to continue to grow the rest of my life. And your ear is what they say. And I don't know oh the rate. And I think for some people, especially if you experience any sort of like weight gain, weight loss, that's like pretty significant. Um, I've been shocked at how many customers have said it's more in the music space than in the outdoor space, but like women with pregnancies, just anybody that has like a huge fluctuation in weight gain or loss, they're like, yeah, they used to fit great. And now, you know, whatever. And you're like, that's so bizarre. Like, it's been a year or nine months. And then they'll say like, well, I lost a hundred pounds and you're like, okay, well that will for sure do it, <laughs> you know? And, um, yeah, yeah just kind of, uh, how we do it but yeah usually every five years they keep it so it's like if you lose something we can just make you a new one and, and get you done up right away or like you said if you want to upgrade it's just totally easy we have everything on file just um hit order and your impressions are on file now how do they hold up in conditions obviously waterfowlers are getting wet a lot yeah. how does how do they hold up in that type of scenario so i've never submerged them in the water like dropped them in a slough and try to put them back in but i've hunted so i live in south dakota so snow rain all that I, I like I said I spend my fair share of days in the field I've never had any malfunctions um, typically they're like if it's raining or snowing you typically have a hat on or a hood or something anyway so it's not like they're overly exposed crazily to the elements but I mean I don't necessarily like super baby them and just you know I just wear them all day and then when I'm done working I just put them away in this case and then I just grab them out of the blind bag the next day and I've only had one set. Like I only own one set. I work there and I don't have like four or six sets that I just keep everywhere. I literally have one set and I've had those ones as my fourth season with them. Um, nice. Yeah. They hold up. That's good. Yeah. That's cool. So far so good. Yeah. It's cool. So yeah. Uh, 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 Matt, Jeff, any, any other, any other questions on the hearing loss thing? We're, we're over an hour here, so we'll start to wrap things up once we finish this, finish this up here. I'm good, Matt. Yeah, nothing for me. I feel like I've been asking all the questions. Tyler, you got to have a couple <laughs> over there. No, 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 you're good. You're, you're asking all the questions I was going to ask anyway. We're, we're thinking along the same lines here. Um, Perfect. so yeah, so our, the, the way we wrap things up here is we call, we finish what we call sky blasting questions. These are off the cuff. <laughs> um some of them are random some of them might be hunting related you don't, don't really know we'll just see where we go here um and then basically we'll ask the question first thing that comes to mind you spit out the answer and we'll just have some fun to finish things up perfect here. yeah i love it all right all right uh matt jeff you guys want to go sure uh shotgun brand of choice beretta every day of the week um my experience was i think i had like something I didn't even recognize. Maybe it's like a nervous tick or like an anxious thing, but if I was hunting in a boat or like an A-frame, so I had a Benelli for years and like, I would just grab it and like bump it against the ground and the, the bolts that turn like the Benelli's, it would come halfway undone and you would pull up. Got to put that wolf double spring in the two times spring in there. That solves all the problems. That's what I need. And like, yeah, 20 so bucks. I, Dang it. I like, so I was, so this, I'm an idiot. Uh, so that's what was happening to me. And I was just so yeah. frustrated one day. Uh, I was in Texas and the place I was at, they were, they had a big affiliation with Beretta and the model that they had would have been the A300s before the 400s. And those did not have the turning head bolt. They had just yeah. like the, like the almost like Winchester has them do where they just slam shut. And there's no mechanism. And I just, mm -hmm 
I just like, dude, my gun just keeps jamming. Like I just need to borrow one of yours. And I did. And then I literally immediately got home, went straight to Shields and, and brought two Berettas and just was like, I'm out like Benelli so long. I'm glad that my choke tubes fit, but I'm out of here. And then yeah, um, yeah. I haven't looked back. So Beretta all day. Sure. Uh, favorite taxidermy mount that you have at your house? Dude, I got terrible ones. Um, I won't say the gentleman's name. He was so kind and he reached out to me and said, hey, man, if I can use a bunch of your duck photos for references um, and you can come to my studio and photograph a couple of mounts, I would gladly trade you. And I said, dude, sweet. I just got home from Texas. I shot this cool pintail. Um, I would love to get it mounted. And the pintail was OK. A widgeon that he did for me, too, was just terrible because uh, now I've seen like actual really good ones. And at first I was like, dude, that's a lot of money for like a duck on the wall. And like, I don't know. Amazing. The quality difference. Yes. I was like, yeah, it's a duck. Like, what are you physically changing in its appearance to make it prettier or not prettier? And now it's like, dude, for sure. Pay for a guy to get it done. Right. Especially if it's like a really yeah. is a trophy bird. If it's like yeah. your first whatever, and it, it just kind of is what it is. And the bird itself isn't that special. I could see you kind of going both ways, but if you shoot like some crazy hybrid or like a net collared spec or something really cool that you're like, this is probably once in a lifetime kind of thing, I would for sure spend mm -hmm. the money and get it done right. Yeah. All right, those are mine. All right, I got three. <clears throat> Favorite type of duck? Dude, a November mallard. Yeah. Just like it's always been the interactiveness. Like there's nothing that gets my heart racing more than just like, I like to hunt a lot of traffic spots too, like not a lot of X's, not a lot of field hunts. <clears throat> and I don't knock either one of those. I just like setting up in those little tight holes that you're like, if you come this way and you're remotely interested in this spread, the only option you have is being 10, 12, 17 yards away from me. And that's just what I like. So it's like November when they're just cruising around and you hit them with a call and they just like absolutely break their necks and like, do it or don't it's like that's just my absolute favorite for sure nice <clears throat> all right bacon and eggs or pancakes Ooh, bacon and eggs good yep. man all right my last one favorite state to hunt and or photograph oh man and you can you can pick your home state but it'd be more fun if you kept South Dakota yeah so obviously like there's just something familiar with home and that's just kind of what everybody would probably gravitate towards unless you lived in it a terrible state which i don't know why you'd want to stay there but um i really have liked the oklahoma texas area um i think that like i like how flat texas is and just like the big skies and like a lot of the photos that i really enjoyed this last year had like turbines behind, like the wind turbines behind them and just kind of had like a cool scenery um this year i spent a little more time in oklahoma and just like all the red dirt and just kind of cool landscapes to me was like, okay, this is really, really sweet too. So I would say right where Oklahoma and Texas meet somewhere right in there. Did I see a picture of Tony, Toby Brolin on your website? Dude, that's our boy. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, we had this, like, it was so odd and random. He commented on a music page. He uses our music in ears and commented and tagged us. And at that time, the, the person that was running social media from our company was on a hiatus. So I was doing it and I see it and it in my head, I'm like, it's just some random tattooed guy that commented about using our ears. So we start dialoguing, chatting back and forth and just like bantering about something dumb. And he made some sort of joke or comment about like 
a, a waterfowl bird. I don't even remember what it was. And we started to, we're like, wait, you hunt waterfowl? And I had never heard of Cadillac Creek. I didn't know anything about him. And uh, so we got off on this thing and it, and it really felt like the stepbrothers thing where you're like, did we just become best friends? Yep. Like that is exactly what it felt like because we were both like passionate about music and like all these same art type stuff and tattoos and waterfowl hunting. And we both kind of felt like we were in this weird niche of like, skinny jean tattooed guys that also really really are passionate about waterfowl hunting and there just wasn't a lot of that in the space and um he immediately was like dude you need to come down and hunt like i would love to have you out here and stuff and um from that season on like i go i go there every year i spend a lot of time hanging out with him and he's a he's a fantastic level a grade human being i really enjoy him um actually going to go down there next month um and shoot some cranes on opener with him and do a live in the blind event together he's a uh, he's one of the good ones for sure that's cool yeah he seems like such a cool guy and following him for quite a while now he's got such a unique style and he just seems like he just doesn't give a shit what anybody thinks right everything about that just guy like break the mold of what like, like a hunter looks like right totally. it's so cool to see but but even like just so not intentional to like rub people the wrong way he is like that in every yeah. aspect of his life on and off the clock with or without the internet. Like he is the real deal. Like everything about his life is exactly like what you think it is from up on the internet. Like, but That's cool. he's just this really low profile, super respectful dude. Like just like, yeah, it's just, it was a really cool experience to go down there. The first time I was like, Holy smokes. Like this is just wild. And they absolutely smoke the daylights out of birds. Like, they beat them up yeah. a lot of the days. Um, and it was just like that. They run a tight ship. They're really good at what they do. Um, yeah, all of his guys are are top-notch. That's cool. Good to hear. All right, that's all I got, Tyler. You're, you're up. All right, all right I've got, I'll, I'll finish with a couple. I'll just send a couple, with a couple you guys had. Had a lot, a lot, of, good, a lot of good stuff there, too. <laughs> all right, piggybacking off the last question, with the second to last question you asked, Jeff. Art, have you ever hunted in Wisconsin? I have not. Okay. Okay. All right. I would love to though. That we should make that happen. We I'm in. We make that happen. Okay. I'm in. Um, and then uh are you a coffee or energy? Coffee or energy drink, you said? Yep. Mm -hmm. I would say energy drink guy for sure. I love the idea of coffee. Uh I can't drink it black because I'm a child. So I typically gravitate towards like an energy drink or my go-to gas station is grape juice because I'm a child. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm the only guy and people always are like, did you just get a grape That's juice awesome. at four in the morning? And you're like, dude, hell yeah. Every single day of the season, I wish I had a great, ju great juice partnership with somebody that would just send me cases of this stuff. <laughs> but on the days I need it. Nice. Energy drinks for sure. That's awesome. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll finish with this one. You got to pick one, just one. It's e either option A, a day in the marsh, or option B, a day on stage. Oh. Right now in this season of life, I would definitely say a day in the marsh. Um, I think as I've gotten older and so I, I have kids and a wife and just like normal life responsibilities, right now I would say hunting for sure still feels super rewarding to me super relaxing it's just like i need it for my personal mental health well-being like 
It's not about killing birds. It's not about any of that type of stuff. Like I think I've just entered the phase of hunting in life where I'm not concerned with like, if we can shoot 30, we absolutely better shoot 30. Um, it just right now is like, dude, I absolutely love being with my dog, with my friends, like just taking it in, even if it's by myself, like I would, I would say that that's a day in the marsh to me just absolutely fills, fills my happiness up pretty quickly. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's a good way. That's a good way to finish things up. So art. Before we go, before we want to get go, in here, if people want uh, all clear outdoors, if they want to get in touch with you, if yeah. they want to see some of the pictures that we've been talking about on this podcast, how do they do that? Where can they, where can they find you at? Yeah, you bet. So like you said, my name is Art Diaz. So for my photo stuff, it's just Art Diaz photos on Instagram. Um, yeah, shoot me a DM. If you have any questions, if you want to talk about ducks, anything like that, I'm always happy to help in any capacity that I can. Um, as far as work goes, it's out clear outdoors. So um, Instagram, Facebook, allclareoutdoors.com. All, all of that is our social media and our website. And then um, shoot us an email. My, my email is art at allclare.com. Um, you can give our caller shop. You can shoot us a DM, whatever it takes. Just know that there's always a real person on the other side that's going to answer that. So um, we're always happy to help. Awesome. Fantastic. So with that, uh, we will we'll wrap things up here. Made it this far. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, and uh, we will see you again next week for another episode. Peace.